Well, at least the Mets didn't get swept. They won on Sunday, but have sunk to a whopping seven games back of first place. Is the dream over? We'll break down what happened in Hollywood, the final three games ahead of the 13 games in hell, and Jake's dad fires back at my rant from Thursday's podcast. Oh, you're going to want to hear this one. We're also joined by SNY contributor, Mets prospect guru, Joe DeMeo. So enjoy the Mets day off and enjoy a new episode of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh, welcome back to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm Jake Brown, alongside my co-host, former Mets pitcher Nelson Figueroa. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Jake Brown Radio, at FiggyNY, and at Amazing But True. Yes, give our Twitter a follow. I might give away a few Mets tickets this week against the Giants if you do give us a follow. We're getting close to 100, Figgy. So once we get to 100 followers on there, I will give away the tickets for Mets Giants. So Where are the tickets at? That. Uh, I'll put you on the on the roof. On the roof, <laughs> probably three hundreds, maybe field level if they're lucky, but maybe three hundred. How many tickets do you want to give away? Probably like two. Okay, I'll I'll handle the tickets. Okay, all right. So we'll give tr- away. I don't trust you. These are <laughs> hopefully some people who actually have supported us. So we'll do something <laughs> a little bit nicer than the roof. Well, I have three thirties Budweiser landing for Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, so I was gonna maybe give away mine. Hopefully, upgrade from there. We'll oh, figure it so out. you want to <laughs> get the tickets that I. I can get and I no, see how this works. Or I'll get different seats. You know, most of these people think I get a lot of games for 80% to 90%. I pay for my tickets. So I am a, a true fan. You could uh, subscribe, rate, review us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five star rating. Joining us later in the show will be SNY's Joe DeMeo. So stay tuned for that. We'll talk prospects. We'll talk where the fans are at. Once again, the Mets have us avoiding yelling, although you did your yelling on Thursday in your debut rant, which had a lot of people fired up, taking the role of Jacques himself by yelling and screaming. And we'll have a reaction to that in a little bit. But, you know, once again, they avoid us truly yelling about the results because they did win Sunday and they salvaged what was an ugly series, a couple more one-run losses against the Dodgers. They have four one-run losses in a week to the Dodgers. Four of their six losses came by one run. Thursdays came by three runs. And then, of course, the 14-4 beatdown on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball last week. But it was nice to see them win Sunday. But overall, Figgy, you got to be down on this team. Seven games out of the division. Seven out of the wild card, which is all of a sudden you have to watch now, considering the Padres are just collapsing. They fire their pitching coach, Larry Rothschild. The Reds have taken their spot in the second wild card. But seven games back, Three more of this 13 games in hell coming up against the Giants. And, you know, if they lose two out of three or get swept this series, you know, they could be eight to ten games out by the weekend, a couple of big games before they get into a winnable stretch, which we'll talk about. But it's hard to be up on this team. But Sunday was it was just nice to just win a game, I think. Yeah, you try to avoid sweeps by any means possible. And they did that. They responded. Um, they finally came through with runners in scoring position, which has been a huge flaw of this team all year long. At nauseum, we've said it. At nauseum, we've heard about it from people. Go into the numbers on 
the series itself so far. They still have three more left with the Giants, so anything could happen. They've played very competitive baseball, and we keep saying that they play to the level of their competition, but I don't think that's true because they're the lesser teams that they tend to find a, a way to lose to that have been the most frustrating. When you're taking the Dodgers and you're going to extra innings, you know, the first two games of that series, you get smashed, you know, in that third game by 10. That's an anomaly, you'd hope. But after that, I mean, you're looking at they played to almost an even run differential with the Dodgers and the Giants. So that means they're able to score as many runs. They're not doing it in clutch moments or in big moments with runners in scoring position, bases loaded, situations like that. So there is hope. And you have a different schedule coming up where you think that that could be a major difference. I think the competition should be pushing them and, and showing them how good they can be if it isn't all on three pl- on three players, and that would be Alonzo, Conforto, and Nimmo. Because we keep saying, if Nimmo gets on, they got a chance to score a run. There's other guys that can score a run. We see Javi Baez run the bases like an animal. VR runs the bases like an animal. So they have speed. Those three guys right there should be able to you know, run the bases as well as anybody. You got to get McNeil going. He has to be doing much more than he is. McCann, much more than he is. Um, those are the obvious two. So I, I think the pitching has been very formidable for a depleted staff uh, and a depleted bullpen where, you know, guys are falling by the way. Uh, here we go. By the wayside. Guys are falling by the wayside. By the wayside. I don't, I don't know why you love that so much. It's unbelievable. It's but Star is Born. Great song. Not everything's a musical, Jake. You're, life is a musical. When you, you'll be when happier you turn, that way. When you, you turn 31, you'll realize how serious life is. <laughs> but till <laughs> like then. The here, yeah. But yeah, but till then, uh, honestly, I know you could be as, as down in the dumps as you want because all that matters is wins and losses, right? At the end of the day, that's all that matters. You're and they're two gonna, games under 500, which is just putrid. You're, right. And for a team that was as high as, what, eight games above 500? And they were up eight games above 500 and with a cast of characters that we don't even want to think about in a Mets uniform. Now that these regulars have been there for quite some time, there needs to be more. These are paid professionals. Their job is not to try and score more runs. Their job is to do. It's not to try with runners in scoring position. Their job is to do. It's not to try to get the runner over and get the runner in. Your job is to do. Find a way to get it done. Enough with the swinging for the fences and striking out. It's just been alarming that there's a complacency of he had a good at bat and swung through three sliders that were in the other batter's box. That's not such a thing. So I think uh, there is still hope. They have to turn it around and take two out of three at home versus San Francisco. And then they can go and hopefully do something, uh, you know, worthwhile versus Miami and the Nationals for those next 14 games. Yeah, 15, I believe, because they have it's a funky schedule coming up. So the Mets could go from 13 days in hell to 15 days in heaven, uh, hopefully from from hell to heaven and then back to hell when the rest of their schedule is brutal. But I believe it's three against the Nationals. Then they have that weird double header where the first game was the one they started with Stroman with the weird weather and in the first week of the season. So four Marlins. Then they have a five game series against the Nationals, I believe, which ends on Labor Day. So they have a double header mix in there. So it's three, four, then five. That's nine, 12, and then three more against the Marlins. So Nationals, Marlins, Nationals, Marlins after these three against the Giants. And they'll likely have it with Lindor back, too. You know, you got the spark with Baez, and you saw the good in Baez. You saw why they traded for Baez in Sunday. You saw the 
slide, which everyone was saying he's parallel parked his way into second base with that cool slide. He had two big hits. You know, a lot of the other offense, they had the bases loaded and they hit with Stroman, which could have backfired, didn't work. Luckily, J.D. Davis saved the day and he had a couple of big strikeouts at the base. I mean, he was swinging and missing at everything. You're seeing the ups and downs of J.D. Davis just over the weekend where he had a couple of huge strikeouts, but then a home run and yet is still batting over 300. So the good, the bad, the ugly of J.D. Davis was shown over the weekend. You're seeing it from Jeff McNeil, who got a strike three called that was not even close to a strike, just an atrocious call by the umpire there. So the Mets, these games are get, are close, but close is only good in horseshoes. But Tuesday, you want to sell tickets? You want to return to the promised land? You have the combo of Lindor and Baez for the final five to six weeks here, Figgy, and you can see what you got in both of them. One of them who will be here for a decade, the other who will be a free agent. So these two guys got to help carry the Mets and put on some magical run. Because, listen, that 15 games, they can get back in it. The Braves are facing the Yankees here, Mets fans for Yankees, for two games. And then the Braves, the scheduling gods are with them because the first time in baseball history, the Braves have two consecutive days off on Wednesday and Thursday, scheduled days off, which I've never seen outside of the All-Star break in the history of baseball. So they're giving them a cakewalk. But then they get the Giants and the Dodgers. So Yankees, Giants, Dodgers. So the Braves got their cakewalk, the D-backs, the Marlins, the Orioles. Now they got their tough schedule. The Mets got to capitalize on theirs. And who knows? Maybe by the end of the weekend, Figgy, they're back within four games of the division. Oh, four games would be nice, but I'm even thinking a little bit more lofty. I, I, I would love to see this division get a little bit tighter. And then you have a September to remember with uh, the National League East, you know, playing much better baseball than they had in the beginning of the year. Injuries t- took a toll on almost every team. The other teams got reinforcements. The Mets tried to stay the course. They, they made, a you know, the two trades. Have you been wowed by Rich Hill? No, but again, very serviceable. Uh, when he gives up three runs, it's only staying at three runs. Three runs isn't turning into nine, you know, in the very next inning. Carrasco has struggled the long ball. He struggled, you know, really getting his rhythm. But you can see it's one bad inning, and then all of a sudden, you know, they hit their stride. Those are what veteran pitchers do. So I, I look for them to also start, you know, kicking it into another gear, hopefully, and they can get a, a little bit more uh, length out of them. Stroman has been phenomenal all year long. Taiwan Walker went through a rough patch. He seemed to uh, bounce back um, using his split finger more than ever, and it's been a nasty pitch for him. Who knows what happens with Jake? I know not going to happen until the middle of September. And if He's you, done. He's uh, not coming back. You look, know I mean, anything is possible, but we are uh, on the verge of possibly seeing Thor because he's been throwing and ramping it up, and he's talking about coming back as a reliever, coming back as maybe that bridge guy who pitches in, in the sixth inning, sixth inning or seventh inning. If he can give you two innings, Every couple of days, every three or four days, why not? Rather Give the six through the eighth, and then Diaz I mean, for the. I mean, ninth. think about imagine Thor being an opener. It seems like a little, you know, moronic. Hey, he's a starter. Let him go as deep as he can. But if he can give you one time through the lineup, you know, with the best of his ability, and put you in a good position to then mix and match, that's a a huge boost right there. So I, I don't know. I think with the way that this year has gone, and the way that this year continues to be a roller coaster, uh, I don't expect them to just fall off the map. I wanted them to compete a little bit more in these uh, 13 days of hell and, you know, not just have only two wins thus far, but they were competing in every single game since July 26th. The Mets have lost by four, only four times, four or more, only four times. They've won by three or more, only three times. So these games have all been closed, man, which tells you that 
if you can get Conforto up with bases loaded or you can get Alonzo up with runners in scoring position, if you can get Dom Smith to do what he's been doing for most of the season with those little dunk base hits with the shift on and a runner in scoring position, they are hopefully learning and growing from these experiences. You have to take your lumps. And I know I'm trying to paint a pretty picture, but it's not a forsaken thing where, oh my God, they've just been blown out of the water and they just stink. This isn't the Orioles or the Diamondbacks or any of those teams that have lost so many consecutive games. These guys have been in almost every single ball game. Yeah, and I'll start Tuesday against the Giants where Sammy Long faces Tyler McGill. Big series against the Giants who have had their number. And then Wednesday, the Mets will throw out their Tywan Walker against Johnny Cueto. And then Thursday, you got to get something. It'll be Carrasco versus Alex Wood. Carrasco has just been atrocious. And if there's a guy that could get replaced when Syndergaard comes back, you know, in a, whatever role he has, it might be Carrasco when he gets pounded and after two innings. He's got to step up this week. And they got to win this series against the Giants and then take care of business against those two teams who are fighting for last place in the Nationals and Marlins. you got to beat up on those teams 15 games because after that, Figgy, it only gets miserable. You have the Yankees, who are the hottest team in baseball, come to town. Then the Cardinals, Phillies, Red Sox, Brewers. Then three easy ones with the Marlins. But last week of the season, the Marlins in Queens spells nightmares. You know it very well mm-hmm. as a former Met in the midst of a collapse. And then end the season in Atlanta versus the Braves. You know, as a Mets fan, you hope those final three games in Atlanta, which I will 100% go down if those mean something. Stay with my brother. I owe him a visit. Got to visit. I want to go, though, on a meaningful final three games. I don't want them to be six games out and they're fighting for second place in those final three games of the year. But uh, it's going to be interesting because now the Padres have made things interesting. They have 28 games left against teams over 500, and the Reds who have taken their spot, and I'm talking about this because the Mets might have to go for the wild card if the Braves keep playing as they are, as they just cannot lose. The Reds only have 14 games against teams over 500. So this surely looks like the Reds could steal the wild card from the Padres who went all in at the deadline with the Dodgers. These teams we talked about going all in and you know, that led to a feisty conversation on Thursday's podcast where you ranted and go back and listen to that episode. And Bob Brown, my father has a response to your rant. And here it is. You were right. Thinking is wrong. The owner of a team can say what he wants and when he needs to say it. Luckily, Figgy never played for George Steinbrenner. He'd be crying in his, in his drink. George Schreiber needs to rail on the players by player name, not say we. These guys are making millions of dollars. This guy's investing in a team. You would be crying in your drink, he says. Your thoughts? So we've said this before about how the players have responded, who he was actually talking about. And the players responded, very professional. He is the owner of the team. He does have the right to say what he wants. But when you're airing out your dirty laundry on Twitter, it's not the right way to do it. The reason that you're not a fan anymore is because you have so much money that you bought the team. If you have that, then you have access to literally sit down with each and every one of these players that you're paying individually and ask them how their day is going, what's going on, why can't they get the job done. So having said that, instead of putting it out on Twitter land and trying to make everybody who's a fan say, oh my God, he's saying what I would say. The difference is now free agents around are saying, why the hell would I play for this guy if every time I have a bad outing, he's going to talk about me behind my, not even behind my back, all over Twitter and all over social media and expect me to be better just because I'm getting, I'm a paid professional and I'm trying to play, I'm playing baseball. That to me is the biggest thing. What you're doing is if you're building a winning culture, you don't do that on Twitter. You build a fan base on Twitter 
and he has done that from day one. But as soon as things got tough for him, he got himself off of Twitter, didn't he? So instead of doing that, instead of putting that stuff out there, why not take a guy out to lunch and say, what the hell's going on with you? He has access to find out. Could it be marital problems? Could it be not sleeping? Could it be whatever else it may be? That's his access that you and I and every other fan, including Mr. Brown, don't have. So the days of George Steinbrenner are long gone. Right. And there's a reason for that. There's HR departments because of George Steinbrenner. What you're looking to do is if you're building a winning culture and you're the owner of the team, your access provides you the chance to go into the clubhouse or invite a guy to your house for dinner and say, hey, what is going on? How can we help you be better? Bottom line, there was a different way to do it. And I get it. Trust me. As a fan, wonderful. Calling the guys out. But you already know how I feel about calling the guys out when on July 26th, you were four and a half games or five games above the Braves. And since that time, you've gone eight and 19. And the only reinforcements you got for a depleted roster were Rich Hill and Javi Baez. And you're going to sit back and say, oh man, this team is struggling. They've been struggling from day one. The offense has not changed. You fired a hitting coach way back in May. You hired a new hitting coach and the offense is still one of the worst in baseball, but you didn't get any reinforcements. So who does that go back to? You don't air out your dirty laundry on social media. Uh, that's why Facebook land is supposed to be rosy. You show your, you know, your interaction with your dog and your vacations with your family. You don't try to air out your dirty laundry of the day-to-day -day activities. Instead, now you might have alienated a lot of free agents who said, man, this Mets team's pretty good, but man, this owner is going to lose it every now and then because the team's not performing well. I get it. But he could have said it to the players in a meeting to their faces. That's a little bit more meaningful. Luckily, Figgy never played for George Steinbrenner. He'd be crying in his, in his drink. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that line is just, it's an incredible line. Give it up to Bob Brown. Hey, hey, voicemail from <laughs> He called into my personal hotline, not the amazing but true hotline. I don't know if he knows I was going to play it, but he said, sell this to Figgy. Don't worry. No hard feelings there. None, Bob none whatsoever. But you think uh, as a kid who grew up in New York, Mr. Brown is really going to offend me by saying I would be crying in my drink? We're going to call him next episode and you guys are going to duke it out. This is going to be great, great podcast. There's here. no duking it out. Like I said, he can be a fan who's still talking about George Steinbrenner. The game has moved on. Bob Brown, <laughs> Nelson Figueroa, face off, UFC 755. 845-391-3660 if you want to... Anyone but Paul Wiener wants to call her. Oh, good God. A true voice. Paul Wiener has left us 10 voicemails and called me Jeff and you Ziggy. Maybe it's going to get to the point in September where the Mets are out of it, and we're going to have to give Paul Wiener a call, the former Mets assistant athletic trainer, and uh, figure out how he's going to fix the injury saga with the Mets. Pod at gmail.com. He says he can fix it. Mm -hmm. He is the, the Lord, the Lord's synth of injuries. 845 391 3660. Figgy reporting live from the local library over there in <laughs> New Jersey. Right, it's a place I haven't been since I was about 11 years old. I don't know if I've read a book since uh, the Cliff Note days of, of high school. Yeah, I think um, you were already past the uh, encyclopedia days and doing book reports by the time. Uh, <laughs> you, I think you grew up in the Google age as well. Yeah, on the desktop computers where I uh, had to be uh, careful. Uh, amazing. Much <laughs> Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, this show has gone off the rails. Ty Burrell, modern family actor, been in movies, actor, Ty Burrell, Mets fan, will join us on Thursday's episode, so stay tuned for that. 
big games against the Giants. Let's uh, keep the hope alive. Seven games in 17 days happened once, you might recall. Mm-hmm. Well, seven games, 38 to go. Can the Mets pull off the miracle? We'll find out. Speaking of miracles, we'll be joined by SNY's Joe DeBeo next on Amazing But True. Joining us now on Amazing But True is a man that knows Mets prospects. He knows the Mets minor league system, and he knows the Mets as well. It'll be Joe DeMeo. You can follow him on Twitter at PSL2Flushing. He does the Mets Perspective Series with SNY and SNY.TV. He writes for SNY, SNY.TV, and he co-hosts the That's So Mets podcast with Jets beat writer Connor Rogers. Joe, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're, hmm. uh, That's surviving. a good question, Joe. <laughs> we're, we're hanging on for dear life to the point where we're now checking the wild card standings because the Mets are seven out of both the wild card and division. Who would have thought they'd have a shot for a wild card and have a shot putting that a little bit loosely? But, you know, they're, they're in the race for both, per se. Uh, what's your feeling right now? Are you is the, the season's over or do you hang on hope that Lindor comes back and the Lindor Baez combo sends the Mets to the promised land? My optimism is not very high that they're going to make the playoffs this year, but they have what 15 straight coming against bottom of the NL East teams and you got to just beat up on them. And I know they have not done that. The Marlins, they lost three or four to the Marlins and they swept the Nationals recently, but typically the Mets play down to their competition and play up to their competition. But in the last week, they've only played down to their competition and not up. So I'm not overly optimistic, but you know what? Baseball is going to be over in a month or two months. So just going to try to enjoy the stretch run. And, you know, hopefully that they just make it interesting in September. They didn't make moves. And we heard a lot about not wanting to get rid of prospects, prized prospects. In your estimation, how prized are the prospects and who are they? The real top of the system, in my opinion, stacks up with any system in baseball. It's just once you get past the top seven or eight, it falls quick. Uh, there's no depth in this system. Uh, it's just a lot of when I made my top 20 prospect list for SNY.TV, once I got after like 11, like 12 and 32 might as well be almost the same guy. Like it's just a bunch of whatever. But the top of the system, I mean, Francisco Alvarez, the number one prospect in the system catcher. I've had him number one for the last year and a half or so. My reasoning was always, if there's a guy in the system that's going to make all-star teams, it's Francisco Alvarez. I mean, he's got serious thump in his bat, hits some of the highest exit velocities in the organization, power to all fields. And he's really, really holding his own as a 19-year-old in high A. Figgy, of course, you know, as a as a former player, being a catcher, too, makes development even a little harder, behind, uh, you know, at the plate offensively. So he's more than holding his own offensively. And on the defensive side of the ball, the Mets are really happy with what he's doing. Uh, he still needs some growth with framing pitches and, and getting down blocking balls in the dirt. But he's got an above average arm, strong pop times. So Alvarez to me is he's the real deal. And then you look at uh, Ronnie Mauricio, another one of the top prospects who's really tapped into his power this year, which is something that everyone said Mauricio had all this raw power and he hit like five home runs in 2019 in a full season in low A. It's just like, all right, when will this projection get onto the field? Because you always hear about tools and tools and tools, and Mauricio has them. The only thing that he needs to grow into is really is like pitch recognition for me. He doesn't draw enough walks, but he has cut down on his strikeouts, which I think is a really good sign for a guy that is tapping into power. I think he has 16 or 17 now. So there's power in the system. And, you know, I could go on 
and on what uh, Brett Beatty, probably the most advanced hitter in the organization, pure hitter to all fields. He was that coming out of the draft when the Mets drafted him in the first round in 2019. Um, he shows the ability to stay back on breaking balls, powered all fields, and defensively, they're kind of figuring out with him and Mark Vientos in double A, who's going to be what. They're kind of alternating third base and left field because they're both really strong bats that I think the Mets are just trying to figure out where are we going to put these guys in the future. They're kind of sharing some time at each spot. Uh, which one of these guys do you think makes their debut first? I would say Beatty because I think he's the most advanced. He's in double A right now, but him and Mark Vientos are both with double A Binghamton and they're both going to debut in 2022 with triple a Syracuse so I'd say either Beatty or Vientos it's going to be kind of whoever is most ready when when the time comes next year but they're both really impressive hitters it's just defensively where's the fit Vientos Mets vice president of scouting Tommy Tanis joined us on a recent episode of Mets perspective and he said the Mets don't have anyone who hits the ball as hard as Mark Vientos I went to a couple games in the minor leagues uh when they came to Connecticut to face the Hartford Yard Goats and Vientos, in, in, yeah, great name. By the way, best minor league stadium in baseball in all of the minors. It's fantastic. Wow. It's like two years old. It's really, really nice. But Vientos, even on his outs, it sounded so loud. Like he barrels the ball up so consistently. And he's got easy opposite field power. He's, he's a fun one too. There's no playing room that they're going to have unless someone gets injured. And we've already seen, what, 57 Mets in uniform? 61. So, 61. Yeah, yes. 61. And we're getting close. I mean, they claimed Heath Hembree the other day. I assume he's going to make his debut soon, so that'll be 62. They're going to break the record of 67. That's the ma- all-time Major League record. They're going to have the most players used in the season in Major League history. Jake, where do you think they're going to end up with? Oh, um, we know it's coming for 69. <laughs> we know it's coming. They said it a couple a month ago that they did 60. And it could realistically happen, which is quite depressing uh, for this team that was in first place just a month ago. And now they might approach 70 players on a roster, which is just something we've never seen before, Joe. Yeah, no, never seen it. It's it's almost insane that they were able to manage to be in first place as long as they did. Just the players they were using. I know the division, we're going to say the division stinks. That's what everyone says. I, I still don't care. It's Major League Baseball, and they still managed to remain in first place. And oddly enough, I was like, great, all the reinforcements are coming back. They're going to pull away now. And then they struggle out the game. I'm like, well, they've been out for a while, so clearly they're just getting their feet wet. They're going to be back, and they're going to be fine. And here we are. Just, I mean, Conforto is turning it on a bit, but, I mean, no one else. I mean, it's Pete Alonzo, Brandon Nemo and Michael Conforto, and then whoever else decides to show up on a given day. Where are you on Conforto? Do you think you bring him back now on a one-year deal? Do you give him multi-years, or do you let him walk in the uh, offseason? So to me, I want to keep Conforto around. Certainly, I'll make him the qualifying offer, and my expectation would be he'd take it. I mean, it's Scott Boris here. I don't think he's going to decline the qualifying offer going into— It was $18 million, right? I think it was 19. 19.9. It was like 19-something this year, and it'll probably go up. So it'll probably be—just call it 20 for a round number. So it'll be a year at 20. You know, Scott Boris knows that Conforo's had a bad year. He's not getting George Springer money on the opening mar- open market. So Scott Boris ain't going to take Conforo— I mean, I'd be surprised if he took Conforo to the open market and said, well, you're just going to get a multi-year deal that's of less value. Just go back to New York, take 20 mil, perform, and then you get that George Springer money. Because to me, I feel like I know what Michael Conforto is. And this year has been terrible. There's no way around it. But he's been pretty much the same player for his entire career. It's streaky at times. And he's a 250, 260 hitter, gets on base at like a 380 clip, hits 25 to 30 home runs. 
plays quality right field defense with a good arm. I know that changes are coming. I think that's inevitable. Uh, I, I just think keeping Conforto around might be a good idea. But that could also mean maybe you don't resign Baez. I don't what do want you do to. With the, what do you do with Cano's contract? Oh, you're you're not for resigning Baez. No. So I, I appreciate what Javi does well. I think he's an exciting player. He can run the bases. Obviously, you see the cool slides. He's got some power. I just can't stand his approach. I can't stand someone going 0 for 5 for 5 strikeouts. And like that's not a surprise that he did that. It's not just like, oh, well, bad day at the office. Like He could do that the next day, too. I don't know why a pitcher would ever throw Javi Baez a strike because he's going to swing at everything. I can handle strikeouts. I mean, that's baseball nowadays. Who doesn't strike out? Pete strikes out. Everyone strikes out. But you have to combine it with some walks. You can't on base... 275 and you got to put the ball in play too because putting the ball in play putting pressure on the defense moving runners over is part of the game of baseball which unfortunately has been lost a lot this year but he doesn't even do that so that i could understand but i think this last month here will be telling because i still think there is a chance joe that they do re-sign him because you do see the spark plug that he does bring. Uh, he does have some benefits, and, you know, Lindor is going to side for bringing him back as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not delusional. I think there's a good chance they actually do re-sign him, but for me, I wouldn't do it. He's, he's just not my personal cup of tea as a player, but I understand, like I said, the positives, and you have Lindor and, and all that. And also, I think we're talking about making choices here, right, where it's like, oh, is it Conforto or Baez? I think Steve Cohen's intending to go nuts this offseason so it could be Conforto and Javi Baez I, I think gone are the days of or when it comes to a couple guys yeah that happened remember last time with David and and uh, Jose Reyes and they decided to go with David and let Jose Reyes go funny that you say that because I'm thinking out loud right now about the whole Baez element to it and what he does we haven't seen it yet on the field we haven't seen and everybody keeps asking what's it like to play with your friend and they haven't played together I'm, I'm waiting to see it happen i'm waiting to see it come to fruition One of the hopefully that- tuesday i'm hoping this they're saying early week i want lindor in that lineup tuesday i think yep. they need that to sell some tickets this week too so baez is uh batting like 324 the babbit batted balls in play right so when he puts the ball in play he has hard contact he has almost i, I want to say it's like 10 percent soft contact so he's all or nothing swing right so he has the 24 home runs. Uh, that's great. But like you said, when it comes to the strikeouts and going all or nothing, we saw it on display big time. And I think it was his first game where he hit, he hit the home run to almost tie the game. And then he comes up with a chance to win the game and had the 2-0 count. Oh, actually, it was a 3-0 count. And then three straight sliders, nowhere near the zone, swings and misses over all of them. I would love to think that there's a hitting coach that could get him to cut down on that swing and have him realize you don't need to use the driver every time. You can you know, use a little nice, rescue club here and keep it in the fairway if he hits a line drive to right center field it drives and runs and then he can be on second base with his speed slide into home change hands and score again that's the kind of player that you want Javi Baez to be I don't know because he's had already two at least uh hitting coaches with the Cubs he has Quattlebaum now I don't know what or who the hitting coach could be to get him to finally understand that because you know they do it in batting practice hey Choke up a little. Go the other way. But once he hits one out of the ballpark that way, it's like, watch how far I'm going to hit the next one. So it's an approach thing more so than anything. His talent is undeniable. It's more of an approach thing. Yeah, it's definitely an approach problem. And I wonder if it is fixable. Because it feels like it's almost ingrained in his head, how, like you're saying, how he's going to approach in a bat every single time. Like he got 3-0. 
like two or three times with the Mets. I'm like, oh my God, Javi's going to draw a walk. And it's almost like it's in his head. It's like no walks, home runs only, no walks. You're a prospect guy, Joe. Were you frustrated when they gave away Crow Armstrong for him? A little bit. I didn't lose my mind. I kind of understood. I also did think that there was going to be more after the fact. I didn't think that was the only move. When you look at it as the only move, makes you scratch your head a little more. Um, I like Crow Armstrong. I, I don't know that he's like, you know, a future all-star. To me, he kind of reminds me of like a Jackie Bradley Jr. I think Pete Armstrong is going to win a gold glove in center field. When the Mets drafted him last year, obviously during the COVID year, his first like appearance was they had instructs down in Port St. Lucie. Uh, they had that for about a month or so. Jared Banner, who was the director of player development at the time, basically said, if you put him in a major league center field today, he could do it. And that was fresh out of high school. So the defense is there. The bat, there's a lot of questions about the bat. He's kind of a slappy type of hitter, not a huge power guy. But I I don't think they lost out on something crazy. But at the same time, you can't keep trading away first round picks. I mean, if you go back, Justin Dunn traded. Anthony Kay traded, Jared Kelnick traded. Now, obviously, Pete Crow Armstrong traded, Kumar Rocker not signed. Like, going back through the last few years, the only first-rounder that's still in the organization is Brett Beatty. And you can't keep losing first-round picks. Of all those names that you put out there, which is going to be the one that you say is the one that got away? I still think Kelnick, despite how his early performances have been, I still think the talent is so legitimate. To me, Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay ultimately are, like, back-end starters, like no, nothing too, too special. Pete Crow Armstrong, I think, will be a regular based on his defense and his bat will determine how good of a regular he is. Kelnick's the one that has, you know, star potential. And, you know, trading Kelnick wasn't great. Trading Kelnick and taking back Robinson Cano was really the problem here. Because if they wanted to trade Kelnick for Diaz at the time, the value wasn't like crazy bad. It's the fact that they then got Cano's contract. So if they took Cano's contract, that should have been like, all right, we're taking $20 million a year off your hands. You're not getting one of our, you know, our first round pick from three months ago that we just, we just drafted sixth overall. So to me, that was, that was really the problem there. You mentioned the one name that we need to get a little bit more information on the Kumar rocker fiasco. What do you think about what happened? I feel bad for Kumar. Let's just start with that. Cause I mean, this, this guy, obviously a supremely talented pitcher, worthy going into the spring to be the number one pick. He ends up not going where we all thought, even I thought in the spring, still goes top 10. So it's not like he fell to the third round or something. So he still went top 10 and the Mets are ready to give him $6 million. They bring him in, they do the physical, their medical staff did not like what was on the physical. What exactly it was, I don't know. I don't know if we will ever know, but all I know, I was told by someone, if you think we care about Tommy John surgery. You are not paying attention to what we've been doing the last couple of years. Last year in the second round, they drafted JT Ginn in the second round out of Mississippi State. He got Tommy John surgery a month before the draft. And the year before, they drafted Matt Allen in the third round. He ended up getting Tommy John. So they're not worried about that. So whatever it is, it was so alarming to them that they felt they couldn't move forward with it and would rather get the 11th pick next year as compensation. Time will tell if they were right, but it's uh, it's certainly a an, an interesting look for the first year with Steve Cohen. And, you know, it's the same scouting staff. So it's the same people that have been drafting since Brandon Nimmo. So that's all stayed in place. They've never failed to sign a first round pick in their in their history. Whatever it is, if I, I knew I'd certainly report it. But what whatever it is, they're obviously very, very uncomfortable with it. And now, you know, scouts throughout the league. Now the scouting community is starting to question 
what's up with Kumar Rocker? No questions from the very beginning, right? That's what made him fall the way to 10 because it, they wanted him to have and all the top kind of prospects to have a pre-draft MRI. He didn't do that. So I, I this is the first I'm hearing that he even got a physical with the Mets. He did. He actually came to New York to take a physical to get announced as a Met press conference jersey, yada, yada, yada. Obviously, they did the physical and they're like, wait, we can't do this. You know, just speculating. I, again, don't know anything, so don't take this as more as that. The only thing that would scare me, especially because if they're talking about the arm area, is thoracic outlet. Like, that's something that that could be career altering if he were to have that. I hope he doesn't. I like, honestly, I know this sounds bad because I'm a Mets fan and I covered Mets and everything. Like I hope Kumar Rocker goes and wins Cy Young's. Like I hope he, by all accounts, we actually, we interviewed him an hour after getting drafted for Mets perspective and that video is still out there. So I was actually part of Kumar Rocker's last interview as a Met. (laughs) (laughs) And Kumar Rocker jerseys are now in third world countries, along with Super Bowl 42 Patriots uh, championship uh, shirts as well. A lot of, a lot of, and uh, 2006 Mets world series tickets, all a lot of phantom things that we'll, we'll never see. Who else did they draft pitching wise that you're excited about? Who's down the pipeline pitching? We talk a lot about hitters, Who's in the pitching pipeline for this team? Because it seems like they're kind of depleted when it comes to pitching. They are. I mean, I'm just going to call it what it is. There's there's not much to get crazy excited about. Um, Matt Allen's a guy I'm super, super high on. Unfortunately, he's got, he got Tommy John surgery. So Matt Allen's ultimately, he may not pitch next year because he got it like at the end of May. And nowadays, Tommy John's not a 12-month and back thing. It's more of a 14 to 16-month and back thing. So if he doesn't pitch next year, he will not have pitched for three consecutive full years because he got drafted in 2019, pitched the second half there, no baseball in 2020 due to COVID. 2021, the minor league season started in May, and he ended up getting Tommy John basically a few days after the season started. Now he could potentially miss all of next year. So that really hurts his development. JT Ginn, second rounder that I mentioned, uh, he, he's in Brooklyn. And then you have, you know, a couple like back end guys, which possess some form of value. They're just not obviously going to excite fans. Jose Buteau in double A uh, Binghamton. He's pitching very, very well. Uh, Cole Gordon, another one who has had like a force start streak of shutout. He has like 32 straight shutout innings. Like he's been fantastic. So it's not a ton to get like excited about as far as like there's not a frontline guy coming, which is kind of why Kumar Rocker was so exciting when they picked him. It's like this is a potential frontline starter that is going to be in the major leagues. It was presumed to be coming to the major leagues quickly. So, yeah, not not too much in the pike for pitching. I mean, there's, you know, like I said, a couple guys. It's mostly back end type stuff. Ginn has a chance to be like a number three. So he's pretty interesting. Coming back from Tommy John, he's a, a turbo. He's a sinker slider guy turbo sync um, when he's fully right right now he's a couple ticks off from where he wants to be velocity wise but when he's right he's up to 97 98 with turbo sync it's really like a Blake Trinan type of sinker like it's a big time sinker above average slider working on a change so he's got some upside but that's kind of where you stand pitching wise all right Joe last one before we let you go do you have any managers in mind that you want to become the new Mets manager or are you a lunatic and you think Luis Rojas will be back in 2022 I don't think Luis Rojas is going to be back I honestly don't know who I would want I know that's really good podcast material chances are they're going to hire some first-time manager because that's where the game is headed they're just going to hire some analytics guy because they're moving create into the analytics world wait till you kind of see the hires that the Mets are going to are working on there's a lot coming analytically so you're going to find someone 
maybe it's someone from the Dodgers organization or the Tampa Bay Rays organization or the Astros, one of those teams. And who knows? I know that uh, Steve Cohen has some form of a relationship with Carlos Beltran. Want to run that back? Yes. Bring him back. <laughs> the return of Senor Beltran. I'm in. Bring, Let's go. Does his, does his niece break it again? That's the only question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his niece. Yeah, exactly. Air quotes, air oh quotes. Yeah. That was always a, a mystery of Mets Twitter land. Joe DeMeo is never a mystery of Mets Twitter land. You can follow him at PSL to Flushing. Check out Mets Perspective, SMY.TV. Check out his stories there. Check out the That's So Mets podcast as well. Joe, appreciate you coming on Amazing But True. You got it, guys. Anytime. That says Sweet Dreams to episode 80 of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give your boys a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Thursday following the Mets' first two games of their series against the Giants at City Field, and we'll be joined by actor Ty Burrell. Enjoy the games at City. I'll see you there, and let's go Mets.